everyone, I think, kind of knew that AI and robots were coming, but I didn't think that it would start evolving in the blockchain space as fast as it is now, which is great because the roles now that are available, I wouldn't have thought necessarily would have been possible back then. It's really, really exciting to just see the range of opportunities that exist and, and also how new types of economies are literally being formed around NFTs. Before any world-changing innovation, there was a moment, an event, a realization that sparked the idea. Before It Happened is a show about that idea. I'm Donna Laughlin, and each week I'll take you on a deep dive into a singular light bulb moment that inspired the visionaries to push forward and change our lives. On this podcast, you'll hear from innovators from an array of industries and philosophies who imagined and are still imagining the future. Grab your passport and let's go on a journey together. How often have you wondered where the food on your plate at a restaurant came from? When was that fish pulled out of the ocean? Where did it travel after it was brought ashore? Who handled it? Who sold it? In other words, is this piece of salmon fresh and safe to eat? Maybe you've never thought about food that way, or maybe you think about it all the time. But whether you have or not, we're reaching a day when all that information is going to be available at our fingertips. At the grocery store, at the butchers, at the farmer's market, even in a booth at your favorite local eatery. My guest today is an expert on business use cases for blockchain. That's right, the word we keep hearing that we associate with cryptocurrency and NFTs. Pretty soon, blockchain technology is going to touch just about anything you can imagine including the food we eat. Neve O'Connell is a senior business development manager with Casper Labs, one of the leaders in the relatively new world of enterprise blockchain technology. You might remember I had the company's co-founder and CTO, Meta Palakar, on the show before. They're a bleeding-edge company that is constantly helping organizations find ways to incorporate blockchain technology into their business. And it's Neve's job to help them figure out just how to do that. Recently, Neve has been paying particular attention to how blockchain is going to impact the food and beverage industries. And that's just what I wanted to talk to her about today. Neve lives in New York City, but she was born and raised in Dublin, Ireland. She was a competitive sailor and briefly considered pursuing it as a career. But she was also drawn to business. As a kid, she used to set up little businesses selling her neighbors everything from lemonade to locally sourced flowers and her first entree into supply chains. And around the time she started school at Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland's capital city was becoming one of Europe's biggest tech hubs. When she graduated, she joined the global consulting firm Deloitte, where she immediately jumped into this brand new technology that people were just starting to hear about, blockchain. So at the time, back in 2015, Deloitte were sponsoring what was regarded as Europe's largest hackathon in the blockchain space. And so I thought I would help project manage the sponsorship for Deloitte. And so I ended up attending the hackathon, had no really idea what the technology was really about, because at the time there was minimal information online. There were a few high-level papers, which I obviously read, but didn't really have an extensive understanding of it. So 
I went to the hackathon and just started learning and listening to what the different groups were pitching. And I was talking to some colleagues that were there as well and suggested, well, why don't we put Deloitte's loyalty program on the blockchain after getting a better understanding? So at that time, then they decided to build an internal proof of concept. And the partner at the time as well was really interested in bringing this to clients, this concept, writing eminence pieces around the technology, particularly within financial services. So at this hackathon, this was your first introduction to blockchain? Yes. And really, at the end of that year, Deloitte Ireland had the opportunity to set up the blockchain lab for Europe, Middle East and South Africa for Deloitte. So at the end of every year, they decide with profits what essentially to strategically invest in it. And the Deloitte Ireland office had that opportunity and we're going to be the focal point from that point on. So your role completely changed? More or less. I then went on to really focusing on number of things, scaling from an operations perspective to learning about the technology where then we could actually create training materials for C-suites across every vertical that wanted to learn what this technology meant to then, you know, running workshops to help them ideate what it meant in the context of their business, should they even in fact be exploring the technology. And then also I was working on internal prototypes. So that's where I started to really get hands-on experience working as a product owner and helping define, you know, the features of what a solution should look like. And then once the clients started coming in, then I was helping manage essentially projects across EMEA. Because 2015, you said, right? Yes. That was pretty early on. I don't think I heard the term blockchain <laughs> that, that early on. And it's become quite the buzzword. So what was it about blockchain that just got you ignited and hooked to say, wow, this is going to be my specialty? Well, first of all, I would have to say it's really what the technology, even Bitcoin, the characteristics of it, what it fundamentally stands for. And in a nutshell, that's really the fact that you have this open global repository where no one single-handedly can control this information and it's accessible to all. So you can trust also the information because it's been verified and you can access the proof points behind that. And so what this all really means is like you can make more informed decisions. Today, we're really in a world where we have access to so much information, too much information, and it's hard to decipher what is in fact authentic, what is real and what's not. So this technology is really providing a new foundation that can enable us to make more informed decisions. And I'd also say, given the fact that you can trust this technology, it has a massive opportunity to really replace all types of systems and build them from the ground up where we can find out new ways how to now commercialize and incentivize the right behavior because we're able to prove who owns data, which hasn't really been possible before. So I find that really, really exciting. And it's applicable really to every single vertical and every single person on this planet. So the market's moving really fast. And if you look back at where you started and to where the market is now and where the opportunity is, from the early days in 2015 and where we are in 2022. Let's talk about Casper Labs and why this role is allowing you to kind of amplify the next level up in blockchain. So the role that I'm in now is very much on the business development side. So I've moved away from the delivery, the product side to focus more on 
three things really. So one is around enterprise adoption. So focusing on the ideation of use cases and how to basically use it in the context of any enterprise's business. Two then is really on the strategy and go to market side of things. And then three is how to best scale both on the customer side and on our side and the business side. And so what we do at Casper Labs and um, the builders behind the Casper blockchain, we provide professional services to companies that are looking to build on the technology. And we focus on what we do know and what we do well, which is the advisory and blockchain development. And so we believe the best way to scale and meet all the demands out there of businesses is to partner with channel partners. So any IT software development house that's going to be able to provide the end-to-end services at rapid pace. So taking a step back and looking at what I brought from the years prior, I'd say it's a number of different things. So one, the experience of working and building something from the ground up, both at Deloitte and Consensus from nothing and scaling it as a business generally. Two, I would say having the delivery experience. I understand, you know, on a project level, on an application level, what these enterprises are looking for. Having managed multiple dozens of production grade applications as well. And you just pick up the nomenclature of what it is that people want and understand more quickly where the technology could go because you have a very strong foundational basis as to what it is and what it could do. So I want to deconstruct something for those who don't know what blockchain is. And you gave us a really great definition early on. But my understanding is that you can have blockchain without crypto, but you can't have crypto without blockchain. And I think sometimes they're just kind of mushed together. And then we have NFTs. What is your definition of blockchain, crypto, and NFTs? So that those who don't really know, if you're a new business entrepreneur listening to this and don't know where to get started, how would you help them navigate as a sailor, because you sail, <laughs> how would you help them navigate through that process? So I just think about blockchain as being similar to the iPhone, the iOS system on an iPhone. And all applications that you have on your iPhone are like use cases. So exactly to your point, one use case is cryptocurrencies, payments. NFTs can create multiple different applications with the smart contracts. They can represent any type of application. So how I would think about NFTs They're essentially like mini computers that can send things back and forth. So you could transfer a fee and it could represent an object. An object could be a physical object. So like a car, a house, or it could be something that's digitally native. So something like a digital art piece. The thing about NFTs is it's enabling the proof of ownership, first of all. But what's really exciting about them is what you can do with it. So now that you're able to prove the ownership, you're also able to think about how to use this in a fractionalized sense. So where more people can participate and own assets. And with that as well, you can create then really new types of revenue streams and really new economies around them. So if you think about just, for example, art or, you know, music, if you're able to fractionalize that royalty piece 
and keep, let's say, a certain component percentage for the content creator, and then give some of that else to your community or fan base for participating or performing the behaviors that you want to do. Maybe it's like promoting your album, for example. You're creating an entirely new system and incentive structure and really business. So it's really exciting. But the one thing I would say about NFTs, because there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of noise around them. So today, NFTs are static. And what I mean by that is they represent one thing and they cannot really be changed. You know, it, it represents one JPEG file, an art piece or a video piece. And so the value that has been assigned to them by enterprises is what, you know, they believe consumers will pay. And factors like scarcity and limited supply obviously factor into that. But they really need to be able to become livable assets to really have true, true value unlocked. So if you change how you use it, that value will change. So think about, I want you to remember, you know, the Tamagotchis, did you, they were a big part, yeah, of um, my upbringing anyway. So if you didn't basically feed it, it's going to die and then it loses value. So if you didn't do something, perform an action multiple times a day, it's going to die. So that's the way some of these assets will need to go. They need to become livable assets. And that's something that's really exciting because it is inevitable and how that's then going to work with AI is exciting. So do you think that they will have the power to powerhouse the economy. And I think in the next two to three years, we actually will see app stores developed specifically for NFTs, which is really exciting, but there's still some work to do there to move away from these static assets to more livable, dynamic assets. And what are the, if you just kind of look back historically, what were the other alternatives? I mean, was it patents and legal documentation or what's blockchain really replacing? So with the last industrial revolution that we've been in, it's all about the digital economy. We've been able to automate things. So prior to that, it was fully, everything was manual and it was paper-based. The documents, regardless of what it was, would be lost and it's very hard to prove and there could be a lot of fraudulent activities. Automation at its basic form came along and that really set the foundation for technology like blockchain because you need to have that as a baseline. You need to have some level of automation before you can use the technology. And it also then helped clean up data as well, pulling in data from the right systems where there were data gaps before. So until you have that, there's no point of using blockchain. It's like if you have bad data, um, you're just going to have bad data coming out. And so it really, really helped set the path for then using the technology like this where you can then have one single ledger, for example, where all companies have access to it and they can really access or verify multiple times from different stakeholders if something is authentic. And so the more ticks or authentication something has, you're surely going to believe it. Hey there, it's Donna. I want to invite you to go check out some of our past conversations with game changers and innovators who are shaping our future. Like celebrity chef Tyler Florence, who I talked to about his work on the Food Network, but then also got into the discussion about problems with the food supply chain and why we need to combat food waste. 
40% of all food at a grocery store ends up in the dumpster. And then 30% of food that comes home ends up in the garbage can. So there's an enormous amount of food waste that happens on small micro levels on a daily basis. Like thinking through that sad head of lettuce in your crisper, why would you let that rot? You got to use it. You got to use that stuff up. I learned something, actually a lot of somethings every time I talk to a new guest. They're pioneers. They're thought leaders in their fields. They all have inspiring stories to tell, and I share them with you every week. So if you're enjoying these episodes, please hit subscribe and join me for more stories about the moments before it happened. So you mentioned that blockchain works in in any vertical market. Let's take food, because on this show, we have a lot of foodies. We've had Tyler Florence. We've had people that are disrupting the pet food supply chain. We've had people making plant-based cheese and other things that are in the food supply chain. So let's talk about that particular market that relates to consumer packaged goods, whether you're Procter & Gamble or if you're a small organic brand. How can we use blockchain to actually ensure the integrity and authenticity of a product, but also perhaps the well-being of us as consumers? Yeah, I would say so. It's really, I suppose, the first place to start is connecting up the supply chain because you need to have a holistic view of what is actually happening along, let's say, for a given product. So that really is track and trace. The first project actually worked on at consensus was the tracking of tuna all the way from Fiji to New York with the World Wildlife Fund. So that's really been a main focus area, I would say, thus far within the food industry. You have retailers like Carrefour, Nestle, Walmart, they've all been doing this really since 2017. Carrefour, that retail giant, has at least around 25 products that you can track from source all the way back to the end product. And they're actually looking to move in the text all night. So that's everything from salmon, chicken, fresh milk. And you also have other players like JD.com, the e-commerce giant. They're enabling local citizens in China to be able to track beef that's from Australia. And so that's a great starting point because again, as I said, you have a complete holistic view of the data for a given product. But once you have that, then there's so much more that you can do both pre and post sale. So from a waste management perspective, you can start capturing that data as well along the supply chain. And then also let the end consumer know that this was made, let's say with less water or it was sustainably sourced. You can also rate the performance, let's say of the suppliers as well, and actually reward them by giving them badges for, let's say, again, maybe producing it of a product of extreme high quality or faster time to market. From the consumer side, what they really care about is obviously having data that they trust, but really at a fundamental level, understanding where their product came from and what actually goes into it. On top of that, then, it's the ability also to participate perhaps in any social initiative, let's say that that brand or that company really believes in. So whether it's something around, let's say, recycling, or they want to actually play an active role in helping get counterfeit products off the shelf, 
what they can do is if they're in a shop and they scan the QR code of a product that is actually using the technology, they can actually play an active role and get rewarded for doing that. And there's a number of different ways that they could do that. So whether it's, let's say, scanning the QR code itself on the packaging and going up to the person at the cash register, or maybe it's the company as a whole has an app where you can then, let's say, upload a photo of it and report it to the community and to the group, and then the product is taken off the shelf. So there's a little bit of a crowd effect of coming people coming together in a community to provide that feedback. Yeah, I'd say a lot of the focus thus far has been on like track and trace, like why and, and transport and logistics. And I think a main, main driver of that is also because the FDA are pretty much looks like they're going to bring a new rule around November where anyone in the food industry has to be able to maintain records associated with any critical events. And blockchain is a massive potential contender for that. So that could be anything from receiving the good to shipping the good. And so that is, I think, why one of the main reasons that is very much being pushed forward by a lot of these retail giants um, and other operators in the space. We're starting to see restaurants, but it's more in terms of this far, like accepting cryptocurrencies as forms of payments. But again, I think that that's going to start changing now because they obviously need supply chains linked up first. And so they're starting with the retail. The next step would be to loop in, let's say, the restaurants. So it's natural next step progression there. So on the manufacturer provider side of things, who are the decision makers? Is this a combination of the food scientists, marketing managers, and the technology? Who's making the decision to adopt blockchain? So it's normally the company that owns nearly the supply chain that is close to the consumer, they are going to be probably the main one driving this. But they then need to put in the work to get the buy-in from the suppliers and the producers. And so that's all really about finding the right incentive structures, whether that means that these suppliers are saving time, they are saving money or getting discounts, or they're in fact getting access to more information. And then once then, let's say they have buy-in from at least two and they've built out a, a proof of concept, just testing the idea, then it's a lot easier then to get more stakeholders and players, even competitors involved to buy that. We've seen that a lot, particularly in the financial services um, space, automotive space as well, and the food space as well with the Food Trust Consortium, where competitors actually come together to build these kind of initiatives around particular use cases. So Lizette, you talked about the restaurant. As a consumer, is there something that I'm going to look for eventually, like on the menu, or what do we gain from this? Yeah, it's about quality. You know, it's about a new type of experience, a way to actually participate and become part of a community and feel more connected to a brand. So even starting off with the website, 90% of people here in the States, at least, Google a restaurant before even thinking about going to it. And so then too, let's say you look at some of the reviews, you see what's on the menu, and then you decide, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. So you go to the restaurant and you sit down and just like you do have today, particularly because of COVID, you have a QR code. So you scan the QR code and it brings up the menu. And then let's say you want to learn more about the ingredients 
and just proof points behind something. So let's say you find a chicken that you're interested in the menu. Beside that chicken, again, you scan another QR code and it can just pull up. It depends what the restaurant wants to do. You can even just pull up just very basic information where you can see the GPS coordinates along the supply chain, where it's come from, if it was in fact organically made. And you could click on the certificate that proves in fact that it is organic. And then, you know, what else you can do is if they're accepting cryptocurrencies or maybe this restaurant has their own coin, you can then tip not only just the workers there, but also even the suppliers of that chicken. And so that goes directly in the pocket of the the suppliers and the producers that were involved in crafting and sourcing this. What about school lunches? I mean, you talk about the restaurants, but can cafeteria lunch be traced through blockchain? Yeah, 100%. It's just, again, tracking the the farm to fork. But I think it would be really cool for schools is two things. If, if a school is really focused on recycling and, let's say, taking home lunch boxes. So we didn't have cafeterias in my school. We actually brought in our lunch boxes and then brought them home. If that's their kind of main motive, they can incentivize and, again, reward these kids by even bringing back their lunch tray in the box. And then that is scanned and that is tracked and tagged. So then that goes into, let's say, their reward scheme for this individual student saying they have brought back X amount of lunches and they've participated in this amount of recycling activities. And then they could decide, let's say, with all their rewards that they've built up, how they want to use it. So maybe, let's say, they want to offset it against carbon offsets because they care about climate change. They can then use a certain amount to plant a tree at their school on the ground itself. Or maybe they want to then donate that to try and save a rainforest somewhere else in the world. And then the additional step is you can make it fun. You can gamify it. You can make bids then. You could say... I'm going to recycle 500 of my lunchbox containers and participate in X amount of after-school recycling activities. And they make this bid against their friend. And then whoever wins, wins something. And then you have a leaderboard. It's basically like taking the Pokemon Go concept and applying that to something where you're trying to make it essentially fun. And that's, again, relevant to any industry. You talked about it can be applied to other vertical markets. I know just looking at my research, Casper Labs has had a NFT with a whiskey company that's still in the food and beverage space. I don't believe it's Irish whiskey, but maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Metacask is the name of the company. Our partners that we work with, they're definitely targeting Irish whiskey this year, I'm pretty sure. Um, But what essentially it is, is it's creating an NFT, so a digital representation of an asset, to represent a whiskey cask. And what you're able to do is you're able to bid an auction for this whiskey cask, and you're getting the proof of ownership and certificate associated with it. But what's also unique about this is that we have on-chain KYC built into this as well. So the verification part of knowing that this person is in fact who they say they are is part and baked into this solution. So right now you can go on to metacask.io and you can actually bid for a whiskey cask. And so you'll get the physical whiskey cask and then you'll get the associated NFT. What's important there is not obviously only just for the present and holding that, but it's even thinking about with time, it obviously ages and will become more valuable. So if you're able to prove the history and the ownership and when that was made and crafted, that's important for you as a buyer. 
And also, it really enables a better secondary marketplace as well, because you're then able to transact with people who have access to this cryptocurrency and wallets on a peer-to-peer basis as well. So let's talk about the younger generation that is growing up with this now, growing up with crypto wallets. It's growing up with the knowledge of NFT. I mean, it's like, this is the future. As this is becoming adopted, there's going to be new careers evolving as well. So if you think back to when you were in Ireland and the career that you imagined, was this unimaginable at the time? Was this even a thought before you went to that blockchain hackathon? I would say, well, yeah, disruptive tech, everyone, I think, kind of knew that AI and robots were coming, but I didn't think that it would start evolving in the blockchain space as fast as it is now, which is great, because the roles now that are available, I wouldn't have thought necessarily would have been possible back then. It's really, really exciting to just see the range of opportunities that exist and and also how new types of economies are literally being formed around NFTs, content creators, even freelancers today, what they can do either on the developer side or brand ambassador side is pretty powerful. You can individually work for a number of different brands, even as let's say an influencer and get rewarded directly in the form of these like NFTs or cryptocurrencies. You as a developer, let's say that that restaurant that we talked about, they needed to update something or add something to their blockchain application. You could put this bid out to the market and you could see that this developer, not knowing who they are, but they have a very high performance background and you can see the evidence. You hire them for one to two, three hours, whatever it may be, and then they get rewarded in, in the cryptocurrencies. One project that I'd worked on beforehand was creating art and music NFTs that had built in royalties and they had a bonding curve. So we wanted to really also kind of test and see how could people come around NFTs and really form their own marketplaces and not actually use the likes of OpenSea today. And what happened was really profound. What you could do is you could buy an original art or music and you could buy prints of this as well. So if you were the owner of the original, you got the main percentage of royalties But anyone who bought a print could also benefit if they held it longer. They started really trying to form new economies around it so much that people came together and formed a DAO to buy one of the NFTs in the next collection. And they're looking at ways then to collaborate with artists and also change the incentive structure that fans or buyers of these prints can actually participate And so they were looking at ways to basically reward their fans, part of their communities for upcoming events. Now, be that, let's say, discounts to upcoming concerts where the owner was collaborating again with an artist. Like that was unimaginable before. And then also hosting these parties then in metaverses. So where do you realize the market needs to go to make this become the standard? Yeah, I think number one is there's still a lot of kind of education and awareness that needs to happen first. One of the most important decisions an enterprise company should make is picking the right blockchain infrastructure from the get-go, which isn't necessarily top of mind. So it's great for a company like Casper Labs, we provide advisory and consultancy and our channel partners um, would be able to provide that knowledge as well and compare the different layer ones because what technology you choose will determine what functionality that you can actually achieve. So getting that right from the get-go is important. Like right now, 
there's around 50% of companies using blockchains today are actively looking to switch. What is that recipe for success? Like, what do we blockchain beware? What, what do we need to know in selecting? You need to think about, is it secure? Is it scalable, particularly for what you want to do? And what flexibility can it give you? And what I mean by that is with the Casper blockchain, for example, the smart contracts are upgradable. So what that means is as your business needs evolve and change, so can your technology. Then with that, the fourth thing is upgradability. As Meta Partikar, CTO and co-founder said, she'd never, ever deploy a piece of code and put it out into the wild if she couldn't upgrade it. And so making sure you pick a blockchain that enables that is really critical because with the likes of Ethereum, for example, today, the way you do that is very challenging. You'd have to basically build what you had built a new version and then connect it to the old version, the smart contracts piece. Whereas, for example, with Casper, you can do it from the get-go. And so that is absolutely critical. And then I, I know I said four, but the, the last one I would say is, again, trying to pick one that's energy efficient. All proof of stake blockchains are going to be more energy efficient. Casper is a green blockchain as well. So I definitely take that into consideration when you are deciding what blockchain to use. So let's talk about that more because the sustainability, the carbon footprint is something that we cover a lot on this show. Why does that matter? And how do you know that in being selective that you're not going to be vulnerable or be that next person that's just leaving this carbon footprint behind? Well, with these energy efficient blockchains, well, first of all, in terms of like the hardware requirements, they're much lower. So you can easily run a server if you in fact need one on a laptop with the Casper blockchain. But that's not necessarily needed, you know, if you're leveraging the public blockchain that already exists. And that's only if you're building something, you know, privately and you want to host it within a cloud infrastructure, or maybe you want a hybrid solution. So that's really important to get right from the get-go because the more you're going to use the technology across your business, the value of the blockchain is not just using it for one application, evidently, it's how you can use it for multiples and really scale with that. And then how that is going to complement and interact with other disruptive technologies. So if you think about blockchain as the foundational layer, okay, the single source of truth, the next step then is, okay, how am I going to read that data and make sense of that data and learn from that data? I'm going to have some nice analytics so I can understand what's going on. And then on top of that, you're going to have some form of AI element, predictive analytics. So you can learn, okay, if that issue happens, this recall happens, I want to build this notification to prevent certain types of behavior and then learn and evolve your business and your needs. And so once the technology is in a place that has been regulated to a certain extent and there's more penetration of use cases across verticals and real life applications and the technology itself in the form of mobile you know, applications are in the hands of consumers, then will we start to see a massive change. That was Neva Connell. If you ask me, she has one of the most exciting jobs in the world right now. She's become an ambassador for a groundbreaking cutting edge technology that is literally changing the way we do business. And as she says, we've only begun to scratch the surface of what blockchain technology can do. 
Nate believes one of the next frontiers could be the automotive industry, with car manufacturers being able to link up their entire supply chain to the blockchain, giving us a window into where all of the products in your car come from. There will also eventually be a greater convergence between blockchain and AI, making our automated services and smart products smarter, while fortifying our information and building greater trust. And for the doubters, Neve says, there's no greater incentive to embrace and employ blockchain technology than to be able to better engage our customers. Eventually, she says, we'll see businesses reward customers for giving feedback and suggestions or educating other customers about their products. And what better way to build customer trust than coming straight to us and giving us all a role to play in blockchain. Thank you for listening. Follow Before It Happened on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Before It Happened is produced by me, Donna Laughlin, along with Studio Pod Media. The executive producer is Katie Sunku Wood. And all episodes are written and developed by Jack Buer, with additional editing and music provided by Noda Labs.